Hey, Forge family. The last podcast covered four chapters in 1 Samuel. Lots of narrative that set the stage for Samuel to lead the people back to the Lord. A generation had passed, and all Israel was groaning under the subjugation by the Philistines. There had been no Shiloh, no tabernacle, no center of worship to help Israel. Remember that they needed the Lord. His hand of judgment had been on Israel for 20 years. And Samuel was waiting to hear the voice of God again. The righteous putting away all of their gods and idols set the stage for repentance at Mizpah. When all Israel was gathered and gathered in the face of an encroaching Philistine army, Samuel sacrifices a lamb and the blood of that lamb as a symbol made a way for the God of peace, Yahweh Shalom, to restore Israel to stand before him. That was a thousand plus years before the offering up of the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. God keeps hinting at his final plan for salvation. As the Lamb was consumed on the altar, Samuel cried out to the Lord on behalf of Israel. And God answered, The He blasts the surrounding Philistine troops with his thunder, with his voice, over and over, until finally they flee. These four chapters dealt with how not to honor and obey a holy God. And when Israel turns back, God answers. I left you with questions to embrace and to ponder. Remember the ones that started with, how is it that we can stand before a holy God? I, I hope that you've grappled with those and, seek, and, and, and had a chance to seek for answers from the Lord. I hope the Lord's been speaking to you. Let's pray. God of peace, the blood of your Lamb, Jesus of Nazareth, washes away all sin and guilt and makes, and makes a way for us to come back to you. Thank you, Lord. We, like Israel, wander away and embrace the culture. May Holy Spirit among us keep our heart and our face turned to you. All right, Forge. Uh, Go assemble your Bibles, your notebooks, coffee cups, and also prepare your heart to plunge into 1 Samuel chapter 8. In verse 1, Samuel chapter 8, it says that, It came to pass, Samuel is now old. I mean, I just had my 71st birthday, and it's like, how did that happen? That was fast. So it came to pass that Samuel is now old. Remember that he has been set apart as a Nazarite before before he was born, and it was to be lifelong. No grape products. There's no wine, no seeds, no skins, no raisins. There's to be no contact with anything dead. And no haircuts. So he had a lifetime's worth of a flowing beard and and hair, whatever remained, and it was probably all white. Samuel does what the Lord had told Israel to do. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 18 to 20, here's what it says. You can turn there quickly if you want. Deuteronomy uh, 16, 18 to 20. You shall appoint for yourselves judges and officers in all your towns 
which the Lord your God is giving you according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with righteous judgment. You shall not distort justice. You shall not be partial. You shall not take a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and perverts the words of the righteous. Justice, and only justice, you shall pursue, that you may live and possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you. So, in accordance with the law, Samuel appoints his sons, Joel and Abijah. That's, you know, Yoel and Abiyah. The first name is, the Lord is God. And the second son's name is, God is my father. And he appoints them to serve as judges in Beersheba. Okay, that's in southern Israel, all the way in southern Judah, in the out on the edge of the Negev Desert, where the... Uh, the, the tribes have been coming for 1,400 years because Abraham went and, and sank wells there. In verse 3, that really states the problem. These sons of Samuel, with a godly father and godly names, did not walk out life as Samuel did. They did not walk before the Lord as godly judges. Instead, they turned away. The Hebrew word is natah which means to pervert, to distort, to push aside, all of which they did to line their pockets. And the text says they went after dishonest game, they took bribes, and they perverted justice. Consequently, the widows, the poor, and the foreigner got the short end every time, and the righteous ones languished under their twisted judgments. Verse 4 starts with, Then, okay, and it's as a result of this sucking sound in Beersheba that was spreading and influencing all of Israel, the elders of Israel, then the elders of Israel gathered together and they journeyed up to Ramah to confront Samuel. They didn't come to pray. They didn't come to inquire of the Lord or of Samuel how to deal with perverted justice. Their bitter words are, number one, hey, dude, you're old. Number two, your sons do not follow in your ways. Number three, now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. Now, Samuel had aged and was no longer circuit riding to judge Israel. He remained in Ramah as prophet of God. Whether Samuel knew of the bent nature of his sons before his appointment to judges, it's never known. But they certainly veered from righteous decisions once money was on the table. Those two overlapping concerns, his age and his sons, rendered the judges in Israel unacceptable to the people. The elders of Israel demanded an appointed king. They're trying to fix a wrong with another wrong. Verse 6 says, Samuel was displeased. Literally, he thought the push to start a monarchy in Israel was evil. So, he prays to the Lord. Let's read verses 7 and 8 and 9 together. It says, And the Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people in regard to all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, Samuel, but they have rejected me from being king over them. 
like all the deeds which they have done since the day that I brought them up from Egypt, even to this day, in that they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also, Samuel. Now then, listen to their voice. However, you shall solemnly warn them and tell them of the procedure of the king who will reign over them. So twice, Samuel is to listen to the people. I mean, he's ordered to do that which wraps God's discerned insight into what's really happening into kind of a listening sandwich. You listen, and here's what I'm telling you is actually happening, and then you listen again. The Lord assures Samuel that the people are not rejecting him, but rejecting the Lord. The Hebrew word for reject, it's a bad one, It means abhorred, cast away, cast off, utterly and completely rejected, despised, and disdained. Wow. So God knew their hearts. And so did Samuel. He got it right the first time. It was evil. This was an evil demand. The elders of Israel were pushing God and his prophet into the, quote, utterly and completely rejected category. And they want to end 1,400 years of God's rule over them. The theocracy that has run from Abraham to Samuel. Yahweh and his prophet were being trash canned. But the Lord knew this day was coming when Israel would want a king. Let's read Deuteronomy 17, verses 14 to 20. Okay? This is the second restatement of the law to Moses, through Moses, to the people before they go into the land. So chapter 17, okay, verses 14 to 20 says this. When you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, and you possess it and live in it, and you say, I will set a king over me like all the nations who are around me, you shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses one from among your countrymen who you shall set as king over yourselves. You may not put a foreigner over yourself who is not your countryman. Moreover, he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor shall he cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never again return that way. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Nor shall he greatly increase silver and gold for himself. So the Lord sets the borders on on kings. He chooses them, and then he gives the rules. Okay? Having instructed Samuel twice to listen to their voice, God says he is to solemnly warn these elders about the procedure or the ways or or the styles, if you will, of the kings that they want to rule over them. In verse 10, Samuel spoke all the words of the Lord to the elders. This is what the Lord said, all of it. And then he lays out 16 predations, 16 takings, ways in which the kings will take from them land, sons, daughters, animals, laborers, craftsmen, servants, and taxes. All right, in verses 11 to 18, here's how it goes. 
And he said, This will be the procedure of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and place them for himself in his chariots and among his horsemen, and they will run before his chariots. And he will appoint himself commanders of thousands and fifties, and some to do this plow, to do his plowing and to reap his harvest and to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will also take your daughters for perfumers and cooks and bakers. And he will take the best of your fields and your vineyards and your olive groves and give them to his servants. And he will take a tenth of your seed and your vineyards and give to his officers and to his servants. He will also take your male servants and your female servants and your best young men and your donkeys and use them for his work. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourself will become his servants. Then you will cry out in that day because your king whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. It's pretty plain. The demand for a king to judge and lead out in war comes at a huge cost. Agrarian Israel will change forever from simple communities and families where sons inherited the land and worked the land. Okay? It, 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 it shifts in alignment in the, in the nation to an alignment of all the harvests, all the industry, all the military, all the economy is to be ruled over by a king. And Samuel says, you're going to hate it and you're going to cry out to the Lord but he will not answer you. In verse 18, the elders of the people weren't having any of Samuel's words and nothing to do with the warnings from the Lord. Their response was, no, for there shall be a king over us that he may be like, that we may be like all the nations that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. This statement came from the mouths of men who in their lifetime had heard how God had decimated the Philistines with plagues and in their lifetime had stood in the mob at Mizpah and said, we have sinned against the Lord and watched the sacrifice and then watched God flatten the Philistine armies with his voice of thunder. <clears throat> it is as if these elders stood tall, lifted their chins and said, sure, God has done great things in the distant past. That does not solve our problem today. We're moving on. In verse 21, Samuel reports back to the Lord, Peren, who already knows what, what was said and why they said it. Close Peren. And then the Lord instructs Samuel a third time, listen to their voice and appoint them a king. Literally, God says, cause a king to reign for them. So Samuel is to be the kingmaker. Samuel says to the elders, go home, every man to his city. And after they leave, Samuel is aware that God will give them a king, but he's going to do it in his way. Forge family, between my wife and I, we have 97 years of ministry between us. And not often, but like a regular drum beat, we have been sought out by individuals who either want to argue with us about how God has been treating them 
and are not persuaded by anything that we say and leave in a huff. Or they've come to announce that they have a new moral track to run on. And no, they don't want any more scripture. That's so 1950s. Those have been hard conversations. But in every case, the pushback was a dismissal and a despisal of God and us. So family, as you walk and pursue after righteousness, you will experience rejection. Let the Lord heal those wounds. It's not about you. It's about him. And when faced by those who will not be warned, will not listen, you turn to the Lord. His name is on the line, not yours. Lastly, when the temptation comes to fix a wrong in life with another wrong, and I'm sure things pop to mind for you, Okay. I mean, the plague of divorce, okay, the plague of abortion, okay, the plague of, of white-collar crime where money goes missing, <clears throat> the plague of blue-collar crime, of saying, I, I'm going to punch your lights out because of what you did to me that was bad. Okay, it, 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 all of it, what a, all of it, okay, where we try to fix a wrong with a wrong, Press into God. Seek his face and prepare your heart for his answer. Even an answer that's hard to swallow. It's hard to walk out and be obedient to because he knows you. He loves you. And he holds all your tomorrows. Let's pray. Father God, we have not had much pushback yet for our walk of faith. Our words of testimony about God's faithful to us, faithfulness to us and our Savior, Jesus Christ, whom we serve. Those days may be upon us. For we will not bow down to humanistic education. We will not hold back living as, our chil- as, your, as your children in New Canaan. And we will stand in our neighborhoods and communities of those who serve and answer to a higher authority. You, Lord, alone. We want your heart for the people around us who reject you. All right, Forge family. I love you. We'll be together soon. God bless.